And let's uh, welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. Um, I asked Juanita to lead us in prayer. So those of you at home, we we greet you and welcome you. Uh, Please uh, join us as we open up in prayer this morning. Juanita. Okay. Good morning, church. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning again. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, I'm grateful to be in the house of the Lord. 
Um, I hope that we have a wonderful day in God's house. Cast all your cares on him, the Bible says. So I just want to open up and say thank you, God. We give you glory. We give you honor for being in your holy place, Lord. Gather all the saints that are um, on the way, Lord. Uh, give them travel mercies as they make their way to the house of the Lord. We um, give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We want to make a joyful noise unto you, Lord, this morning. We give you everything, Lord. Anything that's on our mind, Lord, anything that's in our heart right now, we give it over to you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Earlier this week, I was uh, having my devotional time, and this song came into my spirit, and I've been singing it ever since. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Amen. Let us see power and 
winds bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hand. Forever I love you, forever I'll stay. Nothing compared to the promise I have in you. Oh, Jesus, we bless your holy name today. You are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy, oh Lord. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Can we sing it again? Come on. Shout to the Lord. Here we go. Oh, shout to the Lord. All the earth let us sing Power and majesty Praise to our King Mountains bow down And the seas will roar At the sound of your name I sing for joy church come on church jesus we love you we bless you lord today you are worthy to receive our praises oh god we shout unto you lord we shout you are lord of our lives you are the lord of this place and we welcome your holy spirit today
promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never failed me yet promise still stands your promise still stands great is your faithfulness your
that the shadows can deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is a light forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Come on, let's sing his name. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. The shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome. Your name is a light that ever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Come on, your name. Your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Sing his name right here. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. 
are all the same. They will never contradict each other. Jesus. So go forth and use my name, walking in my spirit and in the power that I have given to you, my people. Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The gift of tongues, the interpretation, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the edification of the church. And I, the whole time I was sensing in my spirit, Lord, there, there is a spiritual warfare going on. Maybe for some of us right now, there's a spiritual warfare going on. But the word came forward through the name of Jesus, the authority given to us. We have the victory. I want to encourage you. If there's anyone, if you feel like you've been, you've been battling all week long, or maybe you've been battling this morning, it's time to step out and lift your voice of praise to God and, and depend upon the Lord for the victory that you need. It's already established. Claim that victory. In the name of Jesus today. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you and we do proclaim your lordship and your victory. Lord, your victory is our victory. Our faith is in you and in you alone. Father, we pray against demonic activity. We pray against any spirit that's not of you. And we welcome the Holy Spirit to come upon us right now to fill us and guide us and empower us to be your witnesses in these last days. Lord, we know the world is the world is basically falling apart. We understand that. But Lord, as sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And the power that you've given to your church is sufficient for the hour. So Lord, help us to help us to get into that realm of victory and enlightenment that you have for us. Lord, there's power in your name and we stand in your name today. Hallelujah. We're going to sing one more. Uh, Wayne, we're in the key of D, if you could find that loop. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus.
Jesus, 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 hallelujah, glory to your name, Jesus, Jesus, oh God, oh God, save our loved ones, save our spouses, save our parents, save our children, oh God, save them, save them, oh God, set them free, break the chains off of them, Lord, break the chain of self-righteousness and pride and arrogance that says, I don't need God, or that says, I have enough of God, no, we never have enough of you, Lord, break those chains, Lord, break those chains, break those chains, oh God, all-sufficient sacrifice, given at such a price, oh God, we give you thanks, we give you glory, we give you honor, Lord, today, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
us to pray for the Holy Spirit, to ask you, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit for those that ask Him? So, Father, I don't know what's going on with everybody here today. I don't know what's going on in people's homes, what's going on in the lives of people on live stream today. But, Lord, we know that you do. And we also know that we all need your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we're going to do what your word says. We're going to ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us that fresh anointing, oh God. Give us that Holy Ghost power. Often that we read about in your word, we read about it in the pages of church history. But Lord, we don't want to read about it. We want to experience it now. Lord, there are some here today, some at home that need your Holy Spirit just to live another day at home with maybe unsaved loved ones. Maybe some are living with sicknesses or physical problems. And we need your Holy Spirit, Lord. Some of us, Lord, need your spirit to deal with the stresses of work and the personality conflicts that we may have there. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. Some of us, some of us, it seems like we're being chased by evil spirits. And we need your spirit, Lord, your spirit to, to warfare against those unholy spirits. So, Father, all we can do is ask, and we ask you, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Father, we do want to pray for those in our fellowship that, that need prayer for health. And so we pray for Gary Feldman down in New York getting treatments. Heal our brother, Lord, in your name. His wife, Joanne, Lord, touch her. Heal her in your precious name, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. We pray for Jane Kostra, Lord. <clears throat> Bring healing to her lungs and throughout her body in the powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We pray for our brother Adrian dealing with cancer and chemo healing in the name of Jesus. We pray for our sister Alinda down in Virginia for healing of COVID in the name of Jesus. We pray for Lisa getting help uh, in a rehab center. We just pray for divine healing today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let it be a healing that's all-encompassing, body, soul, and spirit. We pray, Lord, for a complete touch of your presence. We pray for marriages, Lord, to be strengthened and, and made right. We pray for children that may be in rebellion to surrender to your lordship. We pray for parents to have the wisdom to know how to raise a godly family. So, Lord, we give it all to you, and we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, for the rest of this service, we pray that whatever happens in all things, you will be glorified and magnified, and, and you will be honored in everything that we say and do. And, Lord, that your people that are gathered here, those on live stream, will sense the awesome presence of God. Lord, I think I'm... I'm, I'm right in saying we have all felt the effects of the world way too much. The stresses, the anxieties of the world are too much. Now we need your presence. And Lord, we're gathered here on this first day of the week to do business with you and business with ourselves. So Lord, have your way throughout this meeting today. Be glorified in everything that takes place. But may your people be enriched. May we leave here differently than how we came in. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done and what you're going to do. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we do pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, praise the Lord. You may uh, wave at somebody or greet some. You can greet each other now, you know. The restrictions are lifted. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I feel a little better now. I don't know about you. I feel good now. Have a little praise break. God is good. I lost about three pounds during that worship time. That's okay. I need to lose the weight. Okay. All right. So we want to release the kids. Get the, we want to release the kids. So all the children, come on up here. All the kids, come on up here. All the children. All the children. Come on right up here in the front. And look at everybody. Okay, let's pray for these kids, can we? Father, thank you for our children. Lord, your, you, your word says that your kingdom is like, is like children coming to you with a childlike, innocent faith. And Lord, we're thankful that these kids are in church. Thank you for their families and friends that brought them here today. Bless their time in kids' church. Thank you for our teachers. Uh, let them have a great time, a fun time, but let them have a learning time as well. So we pray blessings over them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, you're dismissed to go. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Have a good time down there. Esther, come on up here and give us a missions report. Here you go. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Great to be in church. Amen. Would not want to be anywhere else. Amen. Um, I have... A report, but first I'm going to read scriptures. Romans 10, 13 and 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on, on one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And with, I mean, sorry. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So th those are really good scriptures for sending out missionaries. And we support 33 missionaries um, as a congregation. And if, you've, if you haven't filled out a faith promise card and you're interested in filling one out, uh, they're over there on the, um, the table by the door. Um, so I want to talk today about the un... <clears throat> sorry. About the um, persecuted church. Um, 
Every day, 12 churches, I got this information from Open Doors Ministries, and they have a list that they publish every year. So every day, churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. These are the findings of Open Doors 2021. This is this year, a World Watch list. A report which identifies the 50 countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian, whether by violent attacks from non-state acts or government regulations, Christians face severe impediments to the free practice of their faith in many places around the world. As threats to religious freedom mount, it is important I hit that too hard, sorry. It is important to know the challenges believers face around the world. I want to talk about ten facts that they list. The first fact, more Christians are murdered in Nigeria than in any other country. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters and our missionaries that are in Nigeria. Open Doors found that an estimated 5,678 people were killed in Nigeria from October 2019 to September 2020. Almost, almost 6,000. <clears throat> Number two, COVID has enabled religious persecution throughout relief, discrimination, uh, forced conversion, and as justification for increased surveillance. They're not permitting, in these some of these countries are not giving um, medication in that for people that have COVID in those countries, especially if they're Christian. We're talking about Christians, believers. Three, technology is making it easier for governments to control and suppress religious activities. And China is the number one country that does that. So we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in all of these countries. We will a little bit. North Korea, number four, North Korea has held the title of world's worst persecutor of Christians for 20 consecutive years. Um, number five, Sudan. Sudan's new constitution guarantees freedom of religion, but it will take time for the situation of Christians to improve. They've just started that. It's been in place for about two years, and they're not sure how it's going to turn out. Number six, approximately 91% of recorded violent killings of Christians for faith-related reasons took place in Africa. And we have several missionaries in Africa. <clears throat> number seven, China jumped to number 17 on the world watch list. They moved up. Number eight, um, legal harassment of Christians in Turkey has caused some Christians to consider fleeing. If they don't flee, they push them out. And so that's something that's going on today in, in Turkey. In Latin, number nine, Latin America, drug cartels are the largest threat to religious freedom. So that's something we also have to pray for. That's in Latin America. That's our neighborhood. Um, 
And number 10, the world's largest democracy, India, is among the top 10 most difficult countries to be a Christian. Sorry that I, I know that this is overwhelming and it overwhelmed me when I started to read this I started to do some research this past week and um, sorry <laughs> so something that um, I thought that it was important for our congregation to know. We cover 33, we have 33 Christ, uh, missionaries. Of the 33 missionaries, we have 11 that are working in the 1040 window. Do you know what the 1040 window is? No? Wow. Um, those That's the longitude and latitude in the world, and it's in the most densely, I think that's the right word, densely populated. Two-thirds of the world's people live in that short little space. And um, so uh, my, my, my uh, prayer for you is, uh, my, my, not my prayer, but I really would like for us to, as a congregation, to start praying for the persecuted church. And God will give that, that to you. The top five countries, I don't know if I said this, is North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. So they're right in that window. Um, so I just want to say a prayer closing with this. Um, and, and I'll also make a real short announcement. Heavenly Father, we just ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would pour out throughout the 1040 window, Lord. Father, there are one, one missionary to every 10 people, Lord. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would just continue to work in those countries. Father, we know that you died for them just as well as you died for us. And Father, we, I, I don't even know if I would be able to stand persecution. And I ask you, Lord, Lord, that you would give us a heart after you and that we would be willing to say, Lord, here am I and willing to die for you because you died for us and you've given us such a liberty here in this country, Lord. Father, I ask that you would just continue to work with the missionaries, that you would give them strength when they feel like they have no more strength, that you would just continue to bless them and work with them, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would draw people to you, Heavenly Father, to glorify, to magnify, and to praise your holy name. In Jesus' Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I have a very short um, uh, ad. We're going to have a car wash to raise funds for the missionaries. We have... Um, <laughs> We have a jar over there for loose change, and uh, we want um, to do a car wash. And it's going to be the 28th. That's not this Friday, but the Friday. I'm sorry. Not this Saturday. It's a Saturday. It's the Saturday after that. Um, so God bless you, and I hope to see you at the car wash. God bless. Amen. Thank you, Esther. 
Uh, also, if anyone's interested in joining the missions committee, uh, please see Esther. Uh, they're meeting by Zoom meeting every first Thursday of the month, so that's something some of you may be interested in. Thank you, Esther, for that report today. Kind of a sobering thought that all those countries are being persecuted when we have such freedom over here to do whatever we want with, with the gospel. On that note, I want to recognize one of our young people, uh, Rebecca Ritchie, uh, sitting in the second row here, uh, graduated with all sorts of honors from North Point Bible College uh, this past May. And she is getting ready to continue her education at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. So you'll be leaving this week, correct? What, to tomorrow. So can we pray for you before you go? Come up here. And church, why don't we stand together? Uh, you can just stand right here, Rebecca. Rebecca, we want to pray for you and pray God's blessing over you because you're preparing yourself for only God knows what. You know what I mean? And your mother said, oh boy. And your father too. But um, as we pray for you, you may be going to one of these places. You know, God's going to use you in a powerful way. But we're going to pray that God will provide all that's necessary for her to get the education she needs, all the preparation she needs, and that in the Lord's timing, He will send her out to do a great work for the kingdom of God. And isn't it good to know that there's a a passing of the baton to the next generation? Amen? So your generation, Rebecca, is rising up to make a difference. So let's pray with me, if, if you would. Father... We want to thank you for Rebecca. Thank you for her family, brother and sister Richie. Thank you for her education at North Point Bible College. And Lord, now she's ready to go on for her studies in Kentucky. We pray, Lord, not only for traveling mercies and your provision financially and materially, we pray for your blessing spiritually to be upon her life, her studies, her teachers, her uh, her roommates, her classmates, uh, the student body at that a theological seminary. Bless them, O oh God, as they prepare to go into this world that we're talking about that is so in desperate need of a Savior. So, Lord, this isn't a vacation. This is, this is boot camp. So bless her. Let her learn all she could learn. Let her get her heart and soul and mind and body ready to go for a lifetime of ministry. But we thank you for this. Thank you for our time at North Point. That was a wonderful experience. But, Lord, now that's in the rearview mirror. Now it's Asbury. Then, it w- then only you know what's next. But Lord, we leave her in your hands. And pray your rich blessing over her, body, soul, and spirit, and upon her family at home. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Well, stay standing with me as we pray for the offering. Father, thank you, Lord, that we could now worship you with our giving. We pray your blessing over this offering. Lord, you know the needs of this church, the needs of our missionaries, and we pray that um, that there'll be an ample supply of funds to do what we need to do. Bless it. Use it for your purposes. Bless the giver as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So come on up, church, and give your offering.
different day, but thank you, Pastor Wayne, for helping out back there. Uh, is everything going okay, by the way? Yes. Live stream is working? working? As far as we know, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I want to tell you something. Last week, uh, you know, we had a really good service, I thought, and um, God was moving, and I felt really good about it. I, we had a visitor here, and uh, she came up to me and said, Pastor Rick, that was a really good sermon. I really enjoyed the sermon. It really made me feel good, you know? And I said, but I was really impressed by the fact that you use yellow paper. And I said, why? She goes, well, everyone's using iPads nowadays. And you're, you're old school using yellow paper. I said, well, I'm always afraid those iPads are going to blow up or burn out or not work properly. So I do, I do old school. But isn't it good? She liked the sermon. She liked it more because it was on yellow paper. So you're, you'll be blessed today. This sermon's coming to you through yellow paper. <laughs> Hallelujah. Take your Bible. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to continue in our studies of, uh, of 1 John. Now, I want to let you know, next Sunday, uh, we're going to deviate just a little bit. Uh, I will be sharing a message in the first service, not on 1 John. But the second service next Sunday will feature our very own Bethany Nato, right over there, that will be sharing her testimony uh, of something that happened to her in January, and uh, if you've been around, you know she was very sick and had some miracles happen. So next Sunday for the sermon will be Bethany's testimony, so come prepared for that as well. And Billy Cobbett, God bless you back there. I see you. Good to have you back in church today. Well, we're in 1 John chapter 2, and... Um, we're continuing the, the, the sermons through the book of First John. John is uh, combating uh, the false doctrine of the Gnostics. Uh, and we already looked at the first chapter where John spends a considerable about, a considerable amount of time on the deity of Christ, uh, the, the importance of fellowship in the church, uh, the light of God, Jesus is the true light, and the, uh, the act of confession of sin. All things that the Gnostics didn't believe in. So he's addressing the churches, uh, he's counteracting what the Gnostics may have been uh, saying and, 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 uh, and teaching in their midst. Now in, in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, we see another component of what John is talking about that counters what the Gnostics were teaching about, and that is keeping the commandments. Now the thing is, we know that we're, we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace, right? Through faith we're saved by grace, but he does mention that if we, if we know him, it's evidenced by our keeping the commandments. And right there, I, I realize uh, for many Christians, this, this makes some Christians nervous. Because now we have responsibility to do something with our faith. But again, uh, John is combating the teachings of the Gnostics. And what I think is, uh, this is important today because we're still combating the teaching of Gnostics in our own culture. That say, it's okay, you can be a Christian and be in the light and live however you want to live. And we say, no, you can't. That's not the way it goes. And so, anyway, what John is saying is what we're saying uh, today to the church. So, anyway, 1 John 2, in verse, starting at verse number 3. Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. 
He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, and by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Father God, thank you, Lord. And Lord, thank you for our worship time. Thank you, Lord, for a time to simply cry out to you, to call upon your name. But Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom we have in this country to preach and teach your word without fear of governmental interference like some of those countries we heard about. And Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters that are right now suffering because of their faith. We pray for them to be comforted and encouraged by your Holy Spirit and by other Christians. But Lord, may the word of God today speak to our hearts. Lord, uh, May your word uh, bring glory and praise to you. Anoint me, Lord, to preach it the way you want. Clear my mind and my heart and my spirit. Let me, let me proclaim the word in such a way, Lord, that you'll be pleased and your people will be challenged but edified. We thank you and praise you for it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have uh, John basically pastoring his church or the churches that he wrote this letter to. Uh, I think maybe we would be it would be correct to say that there may be some Gnostics in the audience that he's writing to. There may be some people in the churches that are either influenced by Gnosticism or they're Gnostics themselves. Because when I read phrases like uh, in verse number 8 of chapter 1, uh, we lie, we don't practice the truth, uh, we deceive ourselves. Uh, verse number 10, if we say that we're, we're not sinned, we make him a liar. And then in verse number 4 that we just read, if we say we know him and don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. Uh, th- those, are, those are strong words. And so I have a feeling that he, he's addressing the church that's been polluted by this doctrine. And uh, I want to reiterate chapter 1, verse number 7, where it talks about being in the light. Uh, Being in the light is similar to to verse number 5 in chapter 2, that we are in Him. So if we're in the light, we're in Christ, we're in Him. And uh, it's very important for us to get the idea that we're either in Christ or we're not in Christ. You can't have it both ways. It doesn't work that way. But I always like to tell people that verse number 7, chapter 1, is very important. Because, thank you, Wayne. Because I know I didn't have an outline today. I was wondering what was up there. Uh, You know, people ask me often for advice or counsel about a complicated, you know, confusing situation. And a lot of that, I really don't know the answer to that situation. But I tell them frequently, walk in the light. If you're not in the light, get in the light. Because as you walk in the light, and Jesus is the light, and you're walking with Him, He will illumine your heart to know what to do in a given situation. So I, I like verse number 7 very much. And uh, verse number 5 in chapter 2, however, tells us that there's a tangible way, a demonstrative way, that we can, we can tell whether or not we're in Christ. And it's not based on feelings, it's not based on knowledge, it's not based on the opinions of other people. 
It's based on what we do with the commandments. But this is the problem. We know that we're no longer under law. We're under grace, right? We're, we're, not, we're not following the law. So what is he talking about? And that's what this sermon is about today. I believe verses 3 through 6 explain a very important principle of the Christian faith. And this is it in a nutshell. If we're in a living, current, breathing, evolving walk with God, there's no way we could be the same as when we started the walk. In other words, we can't be around Him, we can't be with Him and and act the same, think the same as we used to think or act. And the change usually begins, at least in my case, probably for many of us, it begins more like uh, overtly. Like you, you come to Christ and you realize, I shouldn't be doing this anymore, that anymore, that anymore. And and you lay down some heavy things that you've been doing. You don't steal anymore. You don't get drunk anymore. You don't get high. You don't, you know, whatever. You're not sleeping with your girlfriend anymore. You stop those big things. But as we go on with life, it's no longer those big things. It's the, I call them little, but they're not little. The smaller things of our heart. Pride issues. Arrogant issues. uh, Self, uh, self, uh, Opinion issues, and, and so it goes from the covert to the more uh, the, the the overt to the covert, the outer to the inner, and so I've entitled the message today "Commandments." And I realize in saying that word, it's like I could see someone going, uh, "There are no commands. We're saved by grace." Well. Uh, I could have named it in him, because that's an important phrase in this passage. I could have named it in his steps. That's an important phrase in this passage. But I realize if we're in him, if we're in his, walking in his steps, we're following the commandments. So I've entitled this, uh, The Commandments. The Commandments. And so, verse number 3, John begins teaching, uh, continuing to teach against the false doctrine of the Gnostics. And again, the Gnostics didn't believe that holiness was important. They believed that salvation came from knowledge, spiritual experiences, and basically fooey on everything else, just live your life and everybody's happy. And I can't help but think that maybe John is having a play on words in verse number 3. Chapter 2, verse number 3. Because he says, by this we know that we know him. Well, the Gnostics were all about knowledge. And he says right off in this passage, by this we know that we know him, not by what we know per se, but by what we do with what we know. By keeping his commandments. So we know him by by demonstrating our faith in tangible ways. We have our knowledge, we have knowledge of him, but it's not so much what we know, but what we do with what we know. That's why James says, be ye not only hearers, but doers of the word. So we have a dilemma here. It's a dilemma for me. As I was preparing this message, I was in a, I was in a spiritual dilemma. Because I live by grace. Oh, you live by grace. We're saved by grace, you know, through faith. 
Well, so what does he mean by that? And so I started to think about it. I realized there is definitely a moral code that we live by. The moral code does not produce salvation. The blood of Jesus and faith produces salvation. But the moral code is our, is our means, of, means of navigating that salvation. It demonstrates our salvation. So Gnosticism, very big issue in first century, first century church, is big today. It's big today. I studied uh, about the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Didn't realize that Martin Luther addressed this very issue. He put a name to it. He called it antinomianism. Antinomianism, which is anti-law, which in the context means there are some people that think you're saved by grace and you can do whatever you want, forget about the law. And Martin Luther wrote against it, John Wesley wrote against it, many people wrote against it. But John is saying in verse number three, this is how we know that we know him. It's not by what you know. It's by what you do with what you know. But then there's another issue here for me. I mean, this was a hard message to put together, let me tell you. Because one thing led to another. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so we obey the commandments. So what commandments are we talking about? Well, the law of Moses, right? It's in a Jewish context. It's, he's writing, you know, from a Jewish background. He's Jewish. And so he's, he's coming from, the, from Judaism, from the law of Moses. But then, even within the law of Moses, there's different components of the law of Moses, for instance, there's the ceremonial law for national Israel. The ceremonial law was about the priesthood, about the temple, about offering sacrifices and a diet, what foods to eat or not to eat, cleanliness, those types of issues. There's also the civil law. The judicial law, the law of government, how to govern a large group of people. Israel needed to know about civil law, penalties, consequences, safety, structure, and so forth. And then there's the moral law. So there's three types of law within the law. Ceremonial, civil, and moral. The moral law is how to worship God. How to relate to a moral God. How, how to raise a family with respect and honor of God. How to deal with things that come up like murder or adultery or stealing or problems or sinful ways. How do we deal with that in the eyes of a moral God? Well, the ceremonial law has gone, gone by the wayside. We don't sacrifice animals anymore, praise God. The civil law has basically gone by the wayside, although our country and many countries in the Western world are based upon the, the, the uh, civil law of the law of Moses. However, nowadays, the civil law is more reflective of the will of the people as opposed to the will of God. I mean, look at our own laws in our country that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Homosexuality is fine. Abortion is fine. Selling alcohol is fine. Selling marijuana is fine. Pornography is legal. Everything's legal, but not everything is, uh, everything is not unsinful. It is sinful, but it's legal. So we're not dealing with civil law. But the moral law will always be in effect. 
So you may have heard people say, even in our culture, well, you believe in following the, uh, the, the law of Moses, in a sense. So you, you stand against uh, abortion or homosexuality or different issues, and you trace it back to the Old Testament. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Well, in the Old Testament, it also says, don't, don't make clothing that's combining linen and wool together, because that's an offense to God. So if you're going to do one, why don't you do the other? Well, because one's a moral load and, well, law, law, and one is a ceremonial law, two different types of law. So when John says, keep the commandments, he's saying, keep the moral code that's throughout the whole Bible. Not the ceremonial, not the civil, but the moral code. And I realized when I came to the Lord many years ago, and I don't know why exactly this was, but for me and Pamela, um, it could have been the way we were raised in our families, but no one really told us what we couldn't do. But it was like a Holy Ghost conviction that I shouldn't do certain things anymore that I knew were wrong. Today, some 40 years fast forward, I, I, there's not a lot of that going on. There are people that come to the Lord and continue living in the lifestyle they were in when, before they got saved. And we're here today to say that is not the way of the Lord. That is not the way of the Bible. So, alright, so, Jesus calls us out of one lifestyle and brings us into another lifestyle. That's why he says things like, follow me. Sell everything you have and come after me. Uh, uh, you're either hot nor cold. You're either hot or cold. You can't. You, 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 lukewarm doesn't make it. But but come and come after me and live for me. Come follow me. So verse number three. It, it, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We're going to get to that. What that is in a little bit. Verse number four. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I think I said it last week. People say a lot of different things. Uh, in verse number 6, uh, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're liars. Verse number 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so on and so forth. Verse number 4, if we say that we know him and we don't keep his commandments... We're a liar. And the truth is not in us. And here you have a little bit of a conflict because we know from John chapter 4 that the Lord, the Father, is looking for a people that will worship Him in spirit and truth. And so you have people even today that want to worship God in spirit and truth, but they're not living in truth because they're not following the commandments of God. They may have accepted the Lord and they have some spiritual experience, but they're not living in the truth. And that verse number four says, uh, they're a liar and the truth is not in him. So how could you worship the Lord in spirit and truth if the truth isn't even in you to begin with? So, so there's a conflict here. Then verse number five, whoever, but whoever keeps his word. So now you have a connection between the commandments of verse three and the word of verse five. So whoever keeps his word or keeps his commandments, right? Truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. So verse number five is a very crucial verse. 
The love of God is perfected in us as we pursue God, as we, as we do our best to keep His law, His commandments, His moral code. In this position, in this posture, in this relationship, the love of God is working in us. And this is what's so crucial, and, and I see it so clearly, that God wants relationship with us. See, if, if we say we know Him, and we're not in the commandments, we have a problem. But, it, but if we're, we're keeping His Word, we're living in the commandments, the love of God is being perfected in us. We're not perfect. His love is perfect. We're imperfect. That's why 1 John 1, nine is there. If we sin, we have an escape route to confess it and move on with the Lord. But in the relationship in verse number 5, if we're keeping the Word, His love is being perfected in us. It's an ongoing daily experience that we have with the Lord. By this we know that we're in Him. And in that relationship, and tell me if you don't know what I'm talking about, we know that we know that we know that we're okay. Not perfect, but we're walking with God. And how to get that is by keeping the commandments, living for God, trusting in the Lord. Then we know that we know that we know. Even if we fail, the Word of God says we can still confess and repent of it and get on with it again. So this is, this is similar. If you look over in chapter 1, we spent some time on this the other day. Verses 3 and 4. John is declaring the deity of Christ, the value of fellowship. He says, uh, in this relationship of Jesus is God in the flesh, we proclaim Him to you that we might have fellowship with you and we might have fellowship with our Father and the Son. In verse number 4, in that relationship, our joy is overflowing. Amen? And in verse number 5 of chapter 2, in this relationship with God and trying our best to keep His commandments, not living under the law like that, but but following the moral code, in that relationship, His love is being perfected in us. That's the whole value of being born again. And it's not just, it didn't just happen in 1980 or whenever. It's a daily experience that we're, we're born again every day in a sense. We have this living relationship with Him. So the love of God is, is, uh, is, is being perfected, lived out in us. And by this, verse number 5, by this we know that we're in Him. How many people do you know that know a whole lot of the Bible, but they don't know Jesus? I know many people know a lot about the Bible, but they do not know Jesus. So by this, by this relationship of staying in the moral code and surrendering your life and your will to God, we know that we are in Him. And in that, in verse number 5, He's changing us. He's perfecting us. He's humbling us. He's correcting us and maturing us. We can't be around the real Jesus and stay the same as we were before. It'll never happen that way. If we're in with Jesus, we're in for a ride, church. He will continue to change and mold us and shape us into the image, into His image until we see Him face to face. Now verse number 6 that kind of concludes the passage. He says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now we're, now we're getting somewhere. We say we're in Christ. We're in the light. You know, we have a relationship. Now he's saying we ought to walk the way he walked. Oh my goodness. 
In Him there's no sin. But John is saying, you know, and again, this is in contrast to the Gnostics that say, it doesn't matter how you live your life. John's saying, it absolutely matters tremendously how you live your life. Because how you live your life is a reflection of the God that you serve. So he who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Peter said the same thing, 1 Peter 2. He said, for to this you were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Which calls to mind the famous Christian novel called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon, written in 1896, which sold approximately 50 million copies. I highly recommend it, recommend it to you. But the premise is uh, this pastor uh, decides to challenge his congregation before they make any decision to ask the question, what would Jesus do? This was written in 1896. What would Jesus do? To walk in his steps. It changed the whole church, changed the whole community if people would walk in his steps. So this brought me to a place where, okay, now I've got to figure out what am I going to, how am I going to present this to the church on Sunday morning? How can I present this to you in a way that you understand what John's talking about? First of all, I had to figure out what I was talking about. And I think I know what I'm talking about now. And God is talking about imitate Jesus. Live like Jesus. Now, what commandments did he obey? He obeyed all the commandments, if you get down to that. But there were certain things in his life that he did that I think, I pulled out three things. I think we could apply these to our lives, and we would do well to imitate Jesus and fulfill our own calling as Christian people. Did I tell you, by the way, that uh, someone has been contacting me from the community? I forget if I mentioned this last week or not. Someone said they had a dream. And, and the dream, it said, call Pastor Rick. Did I tell you this? Call Pastor Rick. And uh, he found me. <laughs> this is true. He found me. Uh, I met with them and talked all this week as well. But in the process of this, I realized, well, I said, I said, what, who are you looking for? He said, Pastor Rick. I said, I'm Pastor Rick. He goes, well, I don't know. I said, I said I'll meet you at the church. So, he, you know, he never came to the church. So I called. I said, where, where? He said, I was at the church. I said, what church? He goes, the ones with the gargoyles out in front of it. I said, that's not my church. <laughs> I found out it was a different Pastor Rick. But it was the right Pastor Rick, because this guy, and I'm praying for him, has so much in his mind, super spiritual mysticism, crystals in his pocket, a lot of knowledge about extra things that are like extra biblical, telling me about demons and different this and that and this and that. I said, listen, man, you got to get to know Jesus Christ. Forget about all the exterior out there. Get alone with God. And, and uh, he wrote me some things the other day. It was rather bizarre. It was just bizarre. I'm thinking, first of all, how did he get my phone number? It's the second time that happened. Someone gave my number to somebody. I still don't know how he got my number. I think he looked it up. But anyway, uh, being a Christian is not, how can I say? It's not an easy task. It's a life-changing proposition, but it's a better proposition. It's harder, but better. It's more worthwhile. And once you've tasted the glory, you don't want to go back to the old way. 
You may be tempted every now and then to visit, but it's never satisfying. So anyway, three things that Jesus did that we could learn from his life and follow the commandments or follow the moral code of Christ. The first thing that Jesus did was, his whole point was to serve the Father. That was his whole point. I'll give you some scriptures. In John 6.38, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John chapter 4, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In the garden that night, Jesus said to his father, Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, let thy will be done. And of course, he was obedient to the point of death. The first commandment that Jesus kept and demonstrated for us to follow is that he served his father. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in 1 John 2, 3 through 6, we're saying we're to walk like Jesus walked. And so our faith in the Lord must be accompanied by our service to the Father. That changes everything, church. Jesus said in another place, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father. So these are heart issues, soul issues, mind issues, strength issues. And we'll never serve the Father, church, if we're pursuing our flesh and fleshly things. Paul says to consider the things of our flesh as dead, but we're alive to Christ in the spirit. He says to deny yourself and present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And so whether we want to realize it or not, every one of us, and you don't have to be a pastor for this, by the way, but everyone who's a Christian person becomes a student of the word of God. Everyone who becomes a Christian is disciplined to pray and to worship God every single day. That's our goal, every single day. Now, if we don't, are we condemned? No, but that's our goal. Every Christian is is taught to discern right from wrong. When there's immorality brewing around us, guess what? We run away from it. We don't embrace it. We don't live there. When we hear raunchy stories, we turn a deaf ear and try to get away from it. We we see things going on that aren't godly. We we turn away from it. We let our light shine. We let salt out. We 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 flavor the earth around us. We we flee from sinful things and get a load of this church. And I still believe it to be true. We run the church on Sunday mornings. We run the church on Sunday mornings. Ah, Whatever happened to that? Those of you at home, God bless you, you're at home watching this, praise the Lord. But I don't know. I I mean, when when I became a Christian, no one told me to go to church. No one told me. I just knew I had to go where the light was. I had to go where the, where the power was. I had to go somewhere to get what I needed for the week ahead of me. So we serve the Father. He's first. He wants us to have fellowship with Him. How can I say? He wants us to be in His house. He wants us to be with other Christians, worshiping together. He wants us to be praying together. There's strength in the unity of the body. 
So if we want to, if we want to obey the commandments, let's serve our Father in heaven. Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." Oh, but Lord, I don't have enough money. Seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, but Lord, it's so confusing with that relationship. Seek first the kingdom. I don't know what to do with my. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. My friend who's been texting me, I, he wrote me this big long thing yesterday. I, I, I felt like, you remember there's a story in the book of Acts when there was a slave girl that was harassing Paul, uh, mocking his work. She was demon possessed. And it says Paul was greatly annoyed with her and rebuked her. I felt that rising up in me regarding this situation. I said, I said, look, I quoted Matthew 6.33. You're telling me about this fallen angel, this mystical, like Jewish mythology, all this stuff. I said, I said, forget about all that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Just forget about all that. You seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. And that's, I'm telling you, that will revolutionize our lives. For me and Pam, from the very first day we accepted the Lord, serving our Father was the most important thing. Because I realized serving myself was not going to make it. No way. But serving our Father changed everything in our lives. Everything was centered around Jesus, the church, Christian people, hearing the voice of God, staying in that narrow spot, and running after God. And I want to encourage you, you know, you're saved, praise God. But begin to serve your Father in heaven. That will eliminate a lot of problems in our lives. We won't be uh, involved in things that we shouldn't be involved in and because we, are, we already know our Father wouldn't want us to be in that situation. So we say no to things. So all this is under the category of serving our Father in heaven. Jesus did it. He set an example for us to follow. So you follow your Father in heaven. What would, what would Jesus do in a situation that you may be confronted with? What would He do? And follow that example that He put before us. So I'm, I'm saying this will revolutionize every part of our lives. If you put God first in your life and serve your heavenly father, it will change everything about you and me. It'll change what we do, how we think, how we process things. It'll change how we raise our family, how we go about our work, our vocation. I'm not saying everyone needs to be in ministry like this, but hey, I, I was not in ministry my whole Christian life. I was a Christian worker in many different jobs before I got involved in ministry. And it, can ha it should happen. It has to happen. There needs to be Christian people in vocational secular jobs. Absolutely. But we serve our Father first of all. Second of all, what did Jesus do? And what commandment can we follow with Him as our, our example? Well, he served his father, but he certainly served people. He served people. You know, I, you know, I, I tell you that um, I had this, uh, this app on my phone. It's a Christian radio app. There's probably a hundred Christian radio stations on this app. I found one of them that's basically talk, Christian talk radio. So I hear a lot of preaching, teaching, and, and stuff like that, interviews. Uh, the rest are basically music. And the other day, I was listening to this guy. I thought I was listening to myself. He was saying things that I have said and I, will, I would say. He was saying how great it is serving the Lord and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And then he said, but then you get into working with people. 
And I said, oh, where's he going with this? I know what I've said. Because when you work with people, it gets messy. Sometimes. Most of the time. All the time. It's just the way it is. But, but what did Jesus do? Jesus served his father. And in serving his father, he absolutely, you can't deny it, he served people. And, and John says in 1 John 2, 6, walk as he walked. We have got to get to a place where we're cognizant, we're aware of, the, of our calling. Whether you're a pastor or not is not the point. You're a Christian. You are, we are now called to serve people. So Jesus, in Mark 10, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself, took on humanity, became a bondservant, and obedient to the point of death, gave up his life on the cross. Mark 10, he gave up his life as a ransom that he would buy back what was stolen. And oh, how he served people. You know the stories. How he would reach out to the sick. The disenfranchised, the outcasts, the unlovable, the widows and children, the poor, whether poor or rich, whether sick or healthy, Jew or Gentile, Jesus would touch people's lives. And he would touch them many times physically, like the leper. He would speak to the adulterous woman, which was a big deal in those days. He spent time with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. You know, we, we say that word prostitute and we just kind of walk by it. I was watching a, the show Cops. I forget the name of it, but they're cop stories. And these cops were arresting prostitutes. And I thought about these people that are so lost. And how Jesus would spend time with people like that. It kind of broke my heart. But Jesus would serve people. He had compassion on people. When he was asked what the greatest commandment is, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. But the second one is like it. And Jesus just volunteered the second one without being asked what the second one was. The second one is like the first one, to love your neighbor as yourself. I thought about that. Well, how do we, how do we love ourselves, first of all? And I realized we have to get to a place where we recognize... Even though we, not feel, we don't feel worthy of it, we are worthy of Jesus dying for us. That's valuable. And because we have worth and we love what God is doing, the other person now that doesn't know the Lord, we have to love them with that same kind of love because they're valuable. So we obey the commandment to serve God, serve our Father, but to serve people. And so, yeah, it gets messy sometimes. It gets messy all the time. People have pride. People have arrogance. People get offended. We get offended. We think we're doing the right thing, but we do the wrong thing. But Jesus tells us some things. If we give someone a cup of cold water in his name, it's like we're giving it to him. If we visit someone who's sick, it's like we're visiting him. If we visit someone in prison, it's like we're visiting him in prison. If we give someone clothing, it's like we're giving him clothing. And so, if you want to know if you know him, you have to evaluate your life. Are you following the commandments or the moral code that Jesus set before us? Serving the Father and serving people. 
I see Millie back there, so faithful, serving at the cafe, Common Ground. And we have many people involved with different ministries, which I'm very thankful for. But I'll tell you what, we have a missions committee that meets on the first Thursday of every month. There was a meeting last Thursday. I don't know what happened. Maybe you didn't get the message. Anyone could go to that meeting. We're looking for people that will say, I will, I will go, I will join the meeting and talk about missions. This is our way to serve people. Getting involved. This is what I mean. You can think about it and talk about it, but let's, let's do it now. We have 35 missionaries or so. How would you like to be a missionary right now, by the way? Going to some country where they're killing Christian people. Wow. I'd want to know a couple of churches back home are praying for me. Writing me emails or whatever. And I have, I have missionaries contact me all the time. Uh, last week, someone contacted me. They wanted to know, will you be able to support us? I said, man, we're, we're working on it. Been working on it a year and a half, by the way. But we're still working on it. He says, listen, we're having an in, inner city outreach. Can you help us uh, buy some stuff for the outreach? I said, I think we can do that. I'll get back to you. But we'll take it out of general fund if we have to. What I'm saying is, we, as a Christian, our, the commandment is to serve people. It's to help people. Be compassionate to people. third commandment I thought of is to serve the Father and serve people. The third commandment is to be holy. Jesus was a holy man. John the Baptist got the ball rolling when he saw Jesus coming over the hill that day. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Perfect, sinless, blameless Lamb of God come to die for us. Paul said, He who knew no sin became sin for us. 1 John 3, 5 says, In Him, in Jesus, there is no sin. He was holy and sinless and perfect. And in 1 John 2, 6, John says, We should walk like that. To me, this is a tall order. 1 Peter 1.15 says the same thing. He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, in all your behavior, in all your attitude. So how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know that you're in Christ? How do you know that you're in the light? Looking at that passage. Well, we, we, we serve the Father, we serve people, and we live a holy life. No more leering looks. No more sinister thoughts. No more unwholesome words. No more ulterior motives. Respect for God. Respect for people. Respect for authority. If we sin or do something wrong, we own up to it and confess it. If some wrong was done to us, we try to get it straightened out and we give it to the Lord to work it out and don't let bitterness enter in. Now think about Jesus' life. And now's not the time to get into every aspect, but one aspect is really important. When he was baptized by John, right after his baptism, it says in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, it says he was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. Do you believe the Spirit would do that? Yeah, he did. And in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. Forty days later, he came out of the wilderness, still empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then his public ministry began. Fast forward to Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. Can I say to you, we can be a holy people. 
But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. That was Jesus' style. That was Jesus' method. So why should it be our method? So we pray, oh God, send your Holy Spirit. Lord, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we could be witnesses for you. I don't know about you. I don't feel real good about someone who says they're a witness for the Lord and they're living like the devil. That never bore witness with me. If you say you're living for the Lord and you're in Christ, at least reflect something about God. You can't tell me you're, you're, you're reflecting the light of Christ when you're living in sin, overt sin. But I'm a Christian. No. You know what? Another thing, how times have changed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But like, for instance, in my experience, 40 years ago, if someone got saved and they were still having a drug problem, they wouldn't think about preaching. Now someone gets saved, they have a drug problem, they want to preach right away and still have a drug problem. I don't get that. That's odd to me. Someone needs to say, hey, sit down and wait a minute. Get your drug problem straightened out before you come up here to preach the Word of God. I don't know if that's old school or that's biblical. I believe it's biblical. But what, what are, this is the day we're living in. Everyone says, oh, I'm spiritual. You know, pass me the joint. No, wait a minute. Oh, I'm spiritual living with my girlfriend. I'm, I'm spiritual doing this or doing that. Hold on, everybody. What did, what did John say? You, you know that you're in him if you follow the commandments. Not the ten per se, but just the overall moral code of Jesus. And now we have something to talk about. So live a holy life. And will it be perfect? Probably not. But again, 1 John 1 9 is always there for us. I think, think about this often. The other day, as I was trying to watch the news, I realized all that I'm watching is sinful. Everything on here is sin. There's murder, there's uh, pride, there's uh, embezzlement, there's corruption, and this and that. And th- I'm, I'm watching sin before my eyes. And then you try to watch a TV show, you try to watch a movie, and we're being entertained by sin. It's so crazy to, in my spirit. Like we, we sit down and watch a movie, oh, we're watching people kill each other. Oh, great. Watching people have, you know, uh, an adulterous relationship. Oh, wonderful. Oh, great. Great movie. And I think the Lord is just bringing conviction. Wait a minute. You say you're in the light. You can't be entertained by sin. Sorry. That will sooner or later grab you and pollute you and corrupt you. We're called to stand against all of these things. Oh, man. Lord, help us. And why is all this? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, we got this COVID problem. We got the, the Delta thing coming up and the, who's, what's going to happen in the fall and all this stuff going on. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, are you really getting ready to come back? No one even talks about the fires out west anymore or the flooding in Germany or the earthquake over there. There's so many things happening. We don't even talk about those things anymore. It's all part of life. But I think if if Jesus comes back tomorrow, he's going to say, weren't you paying attention? You're watching sin. You're being entertained by sin. All this stuff is going on. You're under the radar. You're not even aware of it. 
So, the commandments. Now, don't think if you keep the, whatever the commandments, it'll save you. That won't save you. You're saved by grace through your faith. But once you're saved by grace through your faith, you begin to be aware of the moral code that God has put before us. That will never change. Until Jesus gets back, you know, it'll never change. So, those three things. Serving the Father, serving people, and living a holy life. I want to close by reading verse number 5 of chapter 2. So, I'm going to read it, then I'm going to ask you to read it with me. But I'm, I'm going to read it alone right now. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Him. Does everyone get that? This is very, very important scripture. If whoever keeps His word, we're abiding by the command, the moral code. Truly, the love of God is being perfected in us. You know, that's how we get. That's how we get close to God. We're in the Word. We're in the commandments. We're in the moral code. And and in this process, day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, come on, we live here. In that process, we're changing. He's humbling us. We're growing. We're maturing. But in that relationship, that's how we know that we're in Him. It's not by knowing the ten facts of who Jesus Christ is. That's not going to get it. It's by experiencing His love on a daily basis. Verse number 5. Whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. So can we read it together? I know we probably have different translations. I have New King James, but let's lift our voices together. Verse number 5. Whoever keeps His word, come on, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. One more time. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Can we stand together? Hallelujah. I want you to know I labored over this message more so than usual to try to get it right. I think I got it right. Praise God. Every head bowed for just a moment. Every head bowed for just a moment. This, this passage, this message, um, to me, it cuts to the quick. And again, we're not talking about perfection. None of us are perfect. We're just talking about getting in the right position spiritually. That we know that we know we're in Him. Is there anyone here today or anyone at home that, you know, you don't know where, you're, where you are with God. Your lifestyle, your, 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 your mind says one thing, your lifestyle says another thing. And you want to get that straightened out. And you can get it straightened out. But you have to come clean before God. So at home or here in the sanctuary, just raise your hand if that's you. Write a comment if you're on live stream. I, I want to straighten out my life. My life is too complicated. I think I know him, but I, I'm not living like I know him. I, I know the goal, but I'm, beyond, I'm below the goal. Anyone like that? It's just just a, a, a term of recognition. I'm not where I should be with God. Anyone like that? I'm not where I should be with God. All right. 
And how many want to put God central to your life today? Put Him central to your life. Yes, raise your hand. Let the Lord know. Lord God, I'm all for you. I'm with you. Lord, help me. Help me to change. Those of you at home, write a comment if you can. I'll check it out later. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this this complex word today, in my opinion. But thank you, Lord, that you have clarified some things for our own culture. And so, yes, Lord, we pray for the modern church of Jesus Christ in America and across the world, really. We pray for your church to be a holy church, to be a spiritual church, and not to be so concerned about fitting in with the world. Lord, we'll never fit in with the world. Lord, uh, this passage makes it clear. Uh, We know that we know you by the way we follow the moral code in the word of God. Lord God, help us to do that. Forgive us when we fall short. But Lord, let us not settle for second best. Let us not settle for what's okay by the world standard. Let us really live by what's okay according to your standard, knowing that you're for us, you're not against us. You want our lives to be better, more fulfilled, as in verse number 4, you want us to have the joy of the Lord. And so, Lord, as we, as we live in you, as we say that we're in you, we're in the light, and we say that we know you, help us, Lord, to obey that moral code that you put before us. And let us be the people of God that you want us to be. Certainly, Lord, there are scores of people that we know, right right here today, we know scores of people that need this gospel, this life-changing gospel. So, Lord, prepare us and send us out of here today with a message of hope and love to people that need it. Let it start in our own families. Let it go to our workplaces and our neighborhoods. And let us be the light that you called us to be. So, Lord, thank you for this time. I pray for the church to be strengthened and encouraged by this message and that we would see great things that you do through this body of believers. We thank you. We praise you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Wayne, if you could put a song on, we're going to dismiss. Uh, The altars are open. If anyone needs prayer, uh, please avail yourself for that. But have a wonderful week, and we'll see you on the live stream tonight at 6. God bless you. In his steps.